0: The Shelter Island Reporter podcast today looks at The Third Act, a new book about people, some famous, some not, who embarked on new pursuits after their conventional careers. I'm Susan Carey Dempsey. Join me for a conversation with Josh Sapin, who collected stories you'll want to hear. Josh, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book, The Third Act, and it's also reinventing your next chapter. And I suppose that we all are going to learn something from the people in the book and that you had a reason for choosing these people and asking them to talk about their third act. But what does it mean to you? Obviously, it's something you're considering after a very, very busy career and looking at something else you might do on the horizon. So, what is your motivation for, for putting this book together, I guess, is the question.
1: Well, well, thank, thank you for asking. Um, it, it is actually something that came to my mind several years ago as I was considering the end of, I guess, one might call it my conventional career, mm-hmm. which I'd always wanted to do and worked in television and movies for quite some number of decades and began to look left and look right at people who were doing things differently after they had uh, finished, I guess I would call it their conventional careers. And it was interesting for me to observe people who I thought were doing it differently, well, interestingly, and there were some themes that jumped out. And so I thought, oh gee, this is maybe interesting to other people, not me, but all the people in the book, because there are these great stories of people who do something wonderful after they do what they do. And I thought that was a fun subject and perhaps relevant because there are so many people of a certain age in America for whom that is occurring. So it was personally driven. And then I got completely intrigued uh, by the stories of the people.
0: All of the above are true. They are wonderful stories. And the name, I think, comes out of some research that's been done for decades, I think, by Ken uh, Dykwald.
1: Exactly right. So Ken Dykewald is perhaps one of the experts on this subject. It could be called aging or anti-aging. He's written 17 books and he's had PBS specials. He's a cool guy. Yeah. And he's really studied it sort of in a multidimensional way, I think, spiritually and otherwise, uh, but also practically and he lectures a lot. And one can find his shows on PBS or archive. And essentially, I don't. I can't begin to summarize what he says in a word or two, except I would say that that engagement is a big part of what's on his mind.
0: Okay, that's a great key word to go with engagement. So, you know, you've got all these people in the book who had decided I've, you know, done a good job at what I was doing. And I have a lot more to give and they'd go in different ways. Some volunteer, but some begin another career. And some of them really just say, here's something I always wanted to do that's so completely different. Firefighters and flight attendants, you know, well beyond uh, decades in another career. But it it seems like engaging is the important word where they feel like they've got to do something that's going to make them feel like they're making good use of this, this wonderful time. Uh,
1: I think you just said it perfectly. I mean, and you really did. I, I would just, repeat what you said, Susan, you know, they, there aren't absolute buckets they fall into, but there are people who are motivated to do something that helps others in some direct and profound way. And there are others I get who perhaps have harbored. And I would ask anyone listening rhetorically, what do you want to be after you grow up after you've done what you do? Are there any fantasies? Kicking around one's brain that you might be able to exercise. I don't mean exorcise with an O, exercise with an E. Right. And uh, are they available to you? Uh, sometimes they they're, they provide compensation, and sometimes they don't. And so examples of those you said them. There's a person who, a woman who became a flight attendant at 55. Another woman who became a firefighter. Amazing in her 50s. They're sort of remarkable, and then. There are people who just really are doing things to make the world a better place. And they're sort of abundant in the book. And, of course, they're compelling. And, you know, there's too many to talk about. But there's a guy who was a, two bronze stars in Vietnam. He had a business career. And then he started an incubator for veterans to start new companies. And uh, what a wonderful thing to do. And a woman who worked, I think, at Verizon, and she started the Bronx Children's Museum. Right.
0: Right. I mean, they're not small achievements. Uh, there's really very impressive what what they've done, and and to have the tenacity to go after something new, and really accomplish it, and see it through. You know, it takes it takes, I guess, self confidence, but also, I think your book helps people to understand there's an environment where it can succeed for people who are ready for that that third act. That uh, it's it's not something as daunting as it might have once been.
1: Yeah, you know, I really, I think, you know, I do think that that that's very true. Of course, economics play into it, but what is makes it more available is longevity and health. Yes, uh, and those two things are facts. They are, I mean, they're facts, except for an, old, an odd hiccup in the numbers related to longevity uh, of late that affects certain people. But people are living longer, and they're living with greater vitality. So there's more opportunity.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about some of the individuals who are right on Shelter Island. I think, you know, because we are the Shelter Island Reporter based and we we feel like we know everybody, but we don't. And you've found some people who have had uh, not three, but maybe several acts. Tell us about some of our, our neighbors on Shelter Island who you were able to talk to for this book. Sure.
1: So I had the the, the good fortune of knowing a couple of them. So I didn't have to do much research. They were part of my life. Bob Carey is on Shelter Island part-time. And Bob was g- well-known as a, a presidential candidate in yes. 1992. But, it, but, but his sequence of careers is quite remarkable. And he's a remarkable guy entirely. Uh, he is from Nebraska and he studied pharmacy. And so he's trained as a pharmacist. And then began as an entrepreneur, sort of chapter one, in businesses, retail businesses, and went on then into politics, became governor and senator, no small feat, right? uh, and did that. And then became the president of New School University for a decade, which I was proximate to, I was involved with, and I watched him operate with extraordinary achievement and care. And then if that wasn't enough, he became... A banker. After that, so I think we're up to five or six (laughs) chapters. And I'm going to just add that he actually writes lovely poetry.
0: That I didn't. Um, I did not know. Yeah,
1: lovely poetry, and does illustrations. Some of it for his kid, who he writes things to. So he's he's a pretty unusual guy. I may
0: have to see if we can get him to give us a poem for the reporter. uh, I'll track that down.
1: And there's another person who just celebrated his birthday, which I was at, and he's 91-year-old Bill Persky. And Bill, many of us may know his work because he wrote The Dick Van Dyke Show and he created That Girl. Yeah,
0: That Girl, yeah.
1: Yeah, so he did – I mean, he's a six-time comedy Emmy Comedy Award winner. And an extraordinary man, but the, the chapter that he's in now is less glorious and obvious to state, but really, really wonderful. And I would really call it mentoring, perhaps ad hoc. Uh, and I so I happen to know a lot of people, kids, kids. I shouldn't say kids, young adults or kids, who he just takes up and mentors, and it's just it just so happens that he met. He was speaking at the church in Sag Harbor. And I think he met a kid there who's 12 or 14. His name is Finn. And he made a movie with Finn. They did it together. Really? Yeah. Now, if I had my wits about me because I just watched the movie, I would be able to capture the title. But it's a lovely film. And it's about sort of that age disparity and what you think. And it features also other people from Sang Harbor, uh, Eric Fischel and April Gornick, who Goodness. are the founders of the church. It's a lovely little film and it's going to show at the church. And I just finished watching it. And if I could scroll my emails, I'd get the right title. we will do
0: a companion piece to this in The Reporter. The film's going to show at the church. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's so inspiring, really, to um, to talk about these people and to see what they're doing. But you yourself have you make me tired just reading your your. Your background, but you've you know you've spent a lifetime in entertainment, up at the head of, of AMC Networks, and really don't have to prove anything. So now you have other things that you're considering doing. So this is very very relevant to you, and I understand that you've done some work in the the planning or the conception of bringing new life to the Greenport Theater. And maybe you can tell me a little bit more about, I know you've done some and, and you have some more things uh, that you'd like to do.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's sort of a long list and perhaps not as illustrious as the people that I just mentioned, <laughs> in truth. Uh, so I'm not so sure it warrants uh, all too much attention, but I'll mention the Greenport Theater because it's in the neighborhood. Yeah, I, I've owned it for 18 years and operated it, and it closed during COVID, and I'm now exploring turning it into a not-for-profit. That's not a finished chapter, uh, but it would be wonderful to see it remain as a movie theater and to see it remain as a cultural so-called center. And so I'm actively exploring that, which would be uh, wonderful to see realized. Yeah, and by the way, I do go around Shelter Island and people say, oh, gee, or in, in the North Fork, and they say, oh, gee, I had my first date in the balcony or I saw this movie there. Exactly, exactly. You remember? Did you remember? I don't know how long you've been around. There was a guy who owned a restaurant called it Nettie's on Shelter Island. It was, yeah. Of course. of course. okay, good. So I went to Nettie's and he had pictures of showbiz on the walls. You know, stars. And <laughs> like, like I, spoke, I spoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was Sardi's. It was Sardi's East and um, Sardi's East. And then he told me that he was an usher <gasps> in the Greenport theater and he wore a fancy uniform as an, well, yeah, it's
0: very nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah. There's always, everybody has a story about running to catch the last ferry after the movie.
1: Yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, and and stories like that. And then a a story that says, well, I couldn't make, there was not a ferry that accommodated the movie. So I would go to the end of the movie at the earlier showing. It's true. So I, The end and then I go, is that true for you? It's absolutely
0: true. Yes.
1: Honestly, really?
0: Yes, really. We did that. We had to do that because we couldn't stay for the end of of the later show. (laughs) So you watched a movie backwards? We got yeah, we caught we knew the end before we started the beginning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually that's
0: life on Shelter Island.
1: There's a lot of tricks and entertainment. That's one I haven't heard yet. Really? Uh watch the beginning and then watch read the end and then uh watch the beginning. It's always
0: something that you're you're gonna find out you didn't know about people in Shelter Island. <laughs> but we know we we accommodate. You live on an island, you have to accommodate. If you need to get the ferry, you just watch the end of the show first.
1: <laughs> you really did that. I actually when I heard it, I thought it was sort of apocryphal. You know, I thought it was a little, well, it sounds so odd yes. and yeah. Fun, but it's apparently you can verify that it's true, and you. And then I thought I invented Netties, but no, I didn't. You actually know Netties, that's, right? That's or knew. But
0: absolutely, absolutely. So you know, all these details are very important, and and they must be preserved. You've got to keep the theater alive <laughs> for everybody.
1: Well, I did. You know, I did want to keep. There was when we renovated it years ago. There was not an insignificant number of people who requested that the bathroom fixtures remain purple. And they were installed when in, when it was multiplexed, uh, in earlier incarnation. And there was an awful lot of affection for the purple <laughs> fixtures in, in
0: the bathrooms. You never know what people will feel sentimental about. I, I want to go to one fascinating thing I found out about you, thanks to the, the wonderful internet, and uh, I googled you. I did not know about your collection of lightning rods.
1: Yep. Well, there they are.
0: How did that start?
1: I was in a junk store and I saw (laughs) an old lightning rod, truly, and I thought it was beautiful to look at. This is decades ago because lightning rods that were made sort of more than 75 years ago, I can go on about this and it's a little boring, (laughs) but they were they're, they're actually sort of industrial arts okay. um, and um, they are, and there's an industrial arts society, believe it or not. So they're not art, but there there is a portion of them that is designed individually and there's cows on them, the old ones and pigs and far and farm things because they were sold to farmers. But it's, it's just a curious story of American commerce yeah. because the itinerant salespeople who sold them to farmers would buy pieces and assemble them and then sell them to farmers who put them on their houses. So they're not fully custom and individual like weather vanes, which are, and are very valuable. And individual, they're really, they were, they were quote mass produced, but they were also assembled by these salespeople. And so someone would make one piece, another company would make another piece. And these salespeople who were driving, not cars early on, but Horses and wagons would sell them to farmers. Yeah. And I just found them beautiful. So if somebody wants to come over and look at them, they'll be, we used to have them in our yard at 16 Clinton Avenue. We're moving to 22 Prospect in the Heights, oh. and they will be there once we finish the renovation.
0: Well, I, but there are also some at the Franklin Institute, right?
1: Yeah, there are. Yeah. So when I began the collection, the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia heard about this uh, collection of old lightning rods, and because Thomas Edison had a lot to do with a lot of that. Uh-huh. They became interested and they asked if I would. They're not very valuable. They're, you know, the highest price one was 400 bucks. So they're just cool. Yeah, they're just sort of beautiful to look at. So the Institute put them on display and has had them on display for a decade in their electricity exhibition.
0: And I like the the, the supply chain that you described about how they would be put well
1: I, I like the supply chain too. Both 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 the visualization and the supply chain did command my interest. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, I want to see these. We're gonna to have to, to track track them down wherever you display them. And maybe the historical society could put on a little show about them. Even if they're not local to Shelter Island, it's it is out of a time. And and that's very important, the uh, that concept of the, the lightning rod.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a very serious thing ultimately. Sure. Um, yeah.
0: I should mention that the book is coming out. It's coming out November 15th.
1: Yes, it people is. People yeah. can
0: buy it in stores, but on Amazon, I'm sure. Yes. It's called The Third Act Reinventing Your Next Chapter. It's great.
1: Oh, you're so sweet. And I, I was able to wrangle a few people who uh, were are in show business who are well known to be part of it. So, Gloria Steinem in it and uh i don't think she needs explanation for who and what she, she is and does and norman lear is in it the well-known producer and robert redford who i had the good fortune to work with who is a you know was a painter and then actor and then director and environmentalist and alan alda who is on the south fork who has the oldest center for communications and people some people that people would know from the media world.
0: definitely alan alda you know is 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 well-known to everyone, but certainly people who live around here are, you know, very yeah. happy to hear that he's continuing to do very worthwhile things. And they're they're fascinating people, and it's a beautiful book. The, the photography and the the writing is really a gift. So thank you so much for for putting it together and for telling us about it.
1: Oh well, thank you so much for your interesting time. You're so sweet, and who knew that you knew Nettie's, and who knew <laughs> that you would see a movie from the end to the beginning. I'm going to perhaps try that.
0: Something that you know about me now that you didn't know before. But there are plenty of people on Shelter Island who can tell you it's true. true. (laughs) Well, we'll be at the opening of the theater in its its next act. Josh, I want to thank you so much for this pleasant visit and wish you the best with this book.
1: Thank you so much. It was really lovely to speak to you and uh, to hear all the myths confirmed.
0: (laughs) Okay. Very, very good.